as we begin uh, the message for this morning, I just want to acknowledge it's not fun going online only. This is not something I want to do. Pastors don't wake up in the morning and say, wow, this is great, we get to go online. And as I imagine, most of you are the same way. Many of you I know have been for the entire, entirety of this pandemic, remaining at home and remaining safe, choosing that is the best way for your family. And some of you have been coming, some weeks in, some weeks not. But we all know our greatest desire is to be together again. And so we continue to pray for that. We continue to hope for that. And our council, our leadership, you know, had difficult decisions to make. And so it was really just trying to see what we felt was the best way to care for friends and families, to be a part of the community in which we live, and to protect people. Like I said, it wasn't some matter of saying, oh, it's so much fun being online, because it's not. But we are thankful at the same time for the technology, for the ability, the opportunity to do that so that we can in some way be together. And to recognize that though we may not be sitting in the same building, though we're in separate houses, in all kinds of different places, that God is with us in each and every one of those places. The Spirit of God is present. So as we hear God's Word, and as we continue on through the service, may you sense the presence of God and know that our thoughts and prayers are with you. So we're going to finish up our series today on the topic of discipleship. We've been looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be someone longing to live their lives as Jesus would live it, if he were us. And so we've been looking at it in the context of how do we become shaped and formed to be that kind of person, recognizing that discipleship, being a disciple, is not simply about moral formation, about being a better person. It's about becoming someone who trusts more fully in God, someone who loves their neighbor more, someone who recognizes how much they are loved by God and what their identity is. And that's in part what it means to be like Jesus. If we look at the life of Jesus, what we see is someone who trusted God in everything, who relied on God, His faithfulness, His power, His presence. And so when we live our lives like Jesus, it's not just being a good person. It's about those aspects of trusting and of loving. And so we, but we've been looking at it somewhat in the context of politics and what that might look like. And so we talked about the issues of power and how Jesus modeled the life of a servant, and how politics can lead us to want power over people and to use that power in inappropriate ways. We looked at what it looks like to love one another and that our vote is not everything that there is to our witness, but some of it's loving across our differences because we have differences. We can see that now continuing on in our country that just because the election has ended, we don't all of a sudden agree on everything. And we're not going to, but we can continue to love each other across those differences. We talked a little bit about baptism and about how that's a reminder of our allegiance and our primary identity being in who God is. And last week, we looked a little bit about how the church comes together and is a witness to the world and a witness to the principalities and powers, particularly in the areas of race and how we, we fight against the lies that have come down through the world and sometimes through the church about how people with a certain color skin are superior to another. And so we gather together and think about what are the ways that we can live out against that lie. 
Today we're going to finish up our series, and we're going to be looking primarily at this text from the Gospel of Matthew. And this is where Jesus gives what's often known as the Great Commission. It's the call where Jesus says it's not enough to be a disciple, but part of being a disciple is making more disciples, is going out and telling other people about Jesus. And sometimes we use the term evangelism, but I want us to think a little even more broadly than that. Sometimes we think of and are reminded that Jesus here doesn't say go and make converts, but make disciples. Make other people, help other people be people who follow Jesus, who live their lives as Jesus would live them if he were us. People who trust fully in God. It's an invitation into a whole life, not a one-time decision. But we're going to focus kind of on that first part of that about what it means to invite someone to follow Jesus and how we begin to do that. And again, that's not all there is to it. There's the important thing where it says, he says, you know, baptize the people, but then we have to teach them to obey. So it's not a matter of, well, you can just tell someone about Jesus and then the task is done, but we continue on with that. And to be honest, we, it's something we struggle with. I struggle with it. When I think about this word, and some people even just the word evangelism starts to make them think, oh no. Maybe some of you heard the word evangelism and there's this sermon on evangelism and maybe what you feel is a little bit guilty because you think, well, I haven't been doing a very good job of that. If you feel like you haven't been doing a very good job of that, you're not alone in that. A couple years ago as a church, we went through a process and we continue on about what it means to be a healthy missional church. And there were these markers of what it means to be a healthy missional church, a church that's following Jesus and living into the world. And part of being a healthy missional church is intentional evangelism. And it was our lowest score. And you think, oh, Fruitland Covenant's not very good at that. Well, as the covenant has done this, across dozens and dozens of various churches, intentional evangelism frequently falls at the bottom or very near the bottom of the list because it's awkward. It's difficult. Sometimes we have friends, we have family, and we're not sure if we're, we're going to turn them off, if we're going to lose our friendships. Sometimes we have struggle with it because we're not sure what to say. We think, well, what if I say the wrong thing? We put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And so what I want to offer this morning is a, is a framework, a framework we've discussed before. We did a series on it a few years back. And the framework is something that the covenant has introduced. It came from another writer, but they introduced it as a way to think about evangelism, a series of practices to begin to get us in the habit of how do we let other people know about this wonderful life of Jesus? Because we gather on Sunday mornings, whether here in the building or virtually, to declare that Jesus is amazing, that Jesus loves us and Jesus died for us, that Jesus introduced us to an incredible life and he gives us life and life to the full is how the Gospel of John says it. And so what we're saying is, how do we introduce other people to that life? How do we begin to let them know about that? And so the framework that I want to offer to you is this using the acronym BLESS. So the word bless, B-L-E-S-S, -S, and just a simple way to think through it. And so I'm going to do a brief overview of that, and then we'll kind of walk through some of those and then think about how we can do that. So B is begin with prayer, and then we listen with care. We eat together, we serve with love, and then we share the story. So begin with prayer, listen with care, 
eat together, serve with love, and share the story. And so as we begin this process, what I want you to do as we start is think of one person in your life, one person in your life that you would like to see know Jesus, that you would like to see give their life to Jesus, that you would like to see experience the fullness, the joy, the hope, the peace that you found in Jesus. And so kind of keep that person's picture in your mind as we go through these steps. Because sometimes it's helpful to kind of put something tangible to it, to say, yes, this is the person, or here's what it looks like, as opposed to just an abstract, con um, abstract concept. So, but as we begin this, I'll go back to this passage from Matthew. And sometimes we skip over, or for me, it's easy to miss part of what he says. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So this is how Jesus, before he gives this commission, before he calls his followers, before he calls us to go and tell other people about him, he reminds them that he is king of kings, lord of lords, that he is reigning over all things. And then he concludes it by saying, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, the one who is, has authority over all things is with us in all that we do. And we're going to come back to that because I think sometimes it's easy to miss that. Sometimes we can get out and we think, oh, it's all up to me. We can feel like we're all on our own. But what we want to remind ourselves of constantly is wherever we go and whatever we're doing, God is with us. That Jesus is with us and Jesus, the one who conquered death, Jesus, the one who reigns and rules over all things, is with us. And this is an important concept for all that we do, not just discipleship, not just evangelism, but this idea of God's presence with us in everything, even the hard times. Sometimes we can feel like, oh, well, things are going bad, and so, so God's not around. But God is present with us in everything. And that's an important thing we want to think about as we're thinking about this. So we're going to begin. The first one, begin with prayer. We begin with prayer because God is the one who draws people. It is the Spirit of God that works inside of people's hearts. Prayer is talking with God, seeing what's going on. And so we're praying partly to, maybe the first prayer is just, God, give me courage. You know, God, give me the courage to speak. Or God, give me the right words to say. But initially, a lot of what it's doing is saying, God, I need your help to do this. And it's okay to say that. It's, it's, in fact, that's what we need to say is, God, I can't do this on my own. I have never met anyone who's a follower of Jesus who was argued into the kingdom of God. Nobody has been, you know, like, for, I mean, there were people, I mean, there was a time in history, there have been times in history where people were baptized at sword point or at gunpoint. But they didn't truly become followers of Jesus. But people became followers of Jesus because the Spirit of God worked in their heart. People were used. It was the words people said. It was the things that they said. It was the things that they did. But ultimately, it was the work of God working inside their hearts to bring them. So we begin with prayer to remind ourselves of that. And we can pray also for the person we're thinking of. So that one person that you're thinking of, 
One of the things you can do is say, I'm going to pray for them regularly. Pray that they would see Jesus. Pray that they would hear about Jesus in different ways. And I think one of the things that is, um, can sometimes happen, and, and I know I've experienced this myself sometimes, is there's a friend, there's somebody you know that you want to see them know Jesus, and, and you talk to them for years and years about Jesus. And you think, oh, I'm never going to reach them. And then they meet a stranger. Or they're going somewhere else, and this other person talks to them for five minutes, and then you get a phone call, and they say, you'll never believe what happened. I gave my life to Jesus. And then some of us will sometimes be like, yay. But in the back of our mind, we're like, really? You did it without me? And it's a reminder that God works in all kinds of different ways. In fact, a lot of studies have done saying it takes six to seven times of a person hearing about Jesus for them to make that decision. So know that when you begin with prayer, it's not just about God help me bring them. But God, bring them and use whoever you want. Because sometimes it's that. It's a song on the radio. It's a stranger at the store. It's something they heard when they were a child. All these things work together. But we know God is the one behind working. Remember Jesus, the one who is reigning over all things? The one who is with us and with them? So we begin with prayer. Second thing we do is we listen. We listen with care. And this is valuable. So as you're having conversations with the person, you're listening. But you're listening for several different things. One, you're listening to what God is saying because we remember what? Jesus is with us. And if Jesus is with us, he's oftentimes telling us something. So we're listening to what God is saying about what we might want to say. And we're listening to the person we're listening to what's going on in their lives. What sort of things are happening and where maybe the good news of Jesus intersects with their life. We're listening and saying, you know, are they lacking hope? Are they struggling in patience? Are they struggling being a parent? Are they struggling with worry about finances? Are they struggling with physical pain? Are they struggling about looking around a world and just not wanting? What is it that's going on in their lives? Because Jesus came not only to forgive us of our sins, but to heal us and to transform us. And so part of what we're doing when we're listening is we're listening and thinking about where does Jesus want to give this person transformation? Where does Jesus want to bring life to this person that I'm sitting across from? And so we're listening to find out what they're doing. And so listening is hard work. I recognize it's hard work right now for you to sit here and just listen to me. Particularly, probably if you're watching online, but even if you were sitting here, as we, our minds are filled with all kinds of things. And it's difficult to sit and truly give our attention to someone. So that might even be, if we go back to the be and begin with prayers, just God help me to be a person who's listening because I know for me, I can be sitting with someone and I'm paying attention and all of a sudden my mind is somewhere else. And it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with phones or devices or anything like that. All of a sudden you're thinking, oh, wait, what was I supposed to pick up from the store today? Oh, wait, oh, man, I was going to do that. Uh, our minds are these wandering things. But ask God to help you to listen to the person. And we've talked about this a number of times. 
The three magic words we use are just tell me more. Listen to the person's story. You're not trying to solve everything going on, but you say, what's their story? But the other thing I would invite you to listen to is to listen to where God is already at work in their life. Maybe something's been going on in their life, and as you listen, as you listen to Jesus who is with you now, remember, and I am with you always, always meaning always, all the time. So if you're talking to somebody, is Jesus there? Yes, he is. And so as you're talking to the person, look and say, what is God doing in their life right now? Because God works everywhere in all places. And so as you're listening to the person you're talking to, saying, where do you see God in your life? Because we're going to come back to that because that's an important part of seeing things. So we do that and then we eat together. I know that's a little harder in these days of COVID, right? We don't, we, don't, we don't do a whole lot of eating together. I know some families and some people have tried Zoom dinners or some online things where you sit at different places and you, you eat meals. I saw some pictures of my cousins in Sweden and they, they had these apartments and so they just opened their apartment doors across from one another and they sat in their apartments across the hall and they shared a meal together. It's not the same, I know. But the idea of eating, why is eating together so important? Because eating is something, one, it's something we all do. But there's something about sharing a meal together. When you invite someone to a meal, it says you value them. You take time. And, and there's also something about sitting around a table and eating. It makes conversation a little easier. I mean, if you just go somewhere and say, hey, let's go sit and talk. If it's someone, maybe if, if it's a little bit awkward. But if you have some food sitting in front of you, whether it's a meal you worked all day preparing or some hot and ready's from Little Caesars that you picked up on the way home, if you have some food sitting there in front of you, it just allows for conversation. It allows for a time. So eat together might not be something we get to do a whole lot of right now, but just to think about that in the context of what you do. So begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together, and then serve with love. And so serving is looking for ways, like Jesus did, to serve the other person, to see what's going on in their life and what are ways that you might care for them in tangible ways. Just like Jesus was always doing, he, he healed lepers, he fed crowds. He looked and said, what's something going on in their life and what's some way that I can serve this person? What's some way that I can demonstrate to them the love of Jesus? And the final one I want to get to is kind of the, the one most of us can do pretty well on these first four steps. We think, yeah, I can pray for the person. I, I can listen to them, and I can eat, and I serve. And then we come to that last one, which was share. And that's the part where we kind of say, well, can I give you my pastor's phone number? Or some other way, we try and get somebody else to do it. So share the story. And so I want to think about two ways we can do that. One is by telling your story. By telling your story of how Jesus met you and has changed you. But I want you to think in terms of a transformation story. Not necessarily your conversion story. It may be the, the time about when you decided to follow Jesus. But maybe it's simply a story about how Jesus has been in work in your life and has been changing you. And I say it's important to think about transformation story because I know there are many of you who you grew up in the church. 
You've always known Jesus, so you can't point back to that time and say, oh, up until I was 23, I lived this wild life, and I was in despair and hope, and then, then Jesus met me, and everything changed, because some of us say, well, yeah, I remember, well, when I was this high, and I would go to church, and I'd hear the stories of Jesus, and I remember growing up, and you don't even necessarily remember a day when you said, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's just always been a part of who you are. And so you're thinking, well, how do I tell my Jesus story? Because I, this person didn't grow up in church, and I did. How do I relate to them? And so I want you to think about what are ways that spending time with Jesus, that knowing Jesus, that being in a relationship with him have transformed you? I would hope that all of us have some way we've look, we can look back and say, I had this struggle. Maybe it was a, a struggle with how we viewed ourselves. We grew up knowing Jesus, but we always had a very low picture of ourselves, And so we were always trying to put on a good front to people. We were trying to make sure we were wearing the right clothes and saying the right thing so that people would appreciate us because we felt that our value came from something on the outside. But then as you got to know Jesus better, you realized your value didn't come from those things. You weren't loved because you were valuable, but you were valuable because you were loved. Because of God's love. So you knew that Jesus loved you as you were. So maybe you share that transformation story. Maybe you share the transformation story of how you struggled with anger and how Jesus helped you and transformed you into be the kind of person that he wants, someone who's free from anger. Maybe you struggled with bitterness. You studied with rage. You studied, struggled with gossip. And Jesus doesn't want that. And so think about the ways that Jesus has transformed you. And then simply tell it as a, a before and after story. You know, what did it look like before this time? You know, before Jesus, you know, before this time. And then how Jesus took me and transformed me to be a healed and person. And so that's why I say sometimes we think of Jesus' death and resurrection as simply that something that saves us from our sins so that we can be with him in eternity. But Jesus' death and resurrection and his life and his power of his spirit is about something for here and right now. That Jesus wants us to live this life of healing and transformation. And we've got all this sickness, all this, this is a technical theological term, all this yuck down inside of us. It's a Hebrew word, but I'm not going to go into the long etymology of what that means. But this yuck inside of us, all these things that have been going on inside of us. And that Jesus wants us to get, he wants to purge that out of us. He wants us to be people who are naturally filled with joy. Paul talks in one of his letters about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You just hear those and you think, wow, I want that in my life. Some of us find those naturally, but some of those are areas where we struggle. So you can tell a transformation story about how God has been at work in your life and how He's transformed you. And so you share that as a story. And so this links with the second thing I want to, the second way I want to talk about it is to say, sometimes we think of sharing the gospel again as like, as maybe arguing or convincing someone, but oftentimes 
What the scripture says is when we're doing it, we're simply proclaiming it. We're announcing it. We're saying this is the good news. The gospel is something to be proclaimed. It's something that Jesus is king and is he is at work. And so even in Paul in the letter to the Corinthians there where he's talking about an ambassador, it's simply announcing this good news that God is working to heal and reconcile all things. So it was in 2 Corinthians 5 where it said, all this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins. So Jesus, what it's saying is Jesus was at work, God was at work in Jesus healing the world. And all we have to do is walk out our door, open a newspaper, open a browser on our phone or on our computer, read a magazine and know that the world needs healing. And what the good news is, the gospel is, is that God is at work healing and bringing transformation. So now I want to connect this to, what does this have to do with sharing with the other person? I mentioned it earlier is to say, when we're listening, we're noticing, where is God at work in the person of this, our friend? So think back to that one person. And you've got this one person. Where is God at work bringing healing and transformation in their life? Where is God at work? If Jesus is with us, if Jesus is ruling, if he is at work, we say, do we notice this? So we might ask questions. And so again, we often think of evangelism is like telling, but what if we simply asked a question? A question like this, did you see what I just saw? I saw God working when you said this. Did you see it too? And then you ask a question, can I invite you into what God is doing to heal you through Jesus Christ? You see, because what we're doing is we're assuming we're going in with the, the assumption, the belief that God is already at work in this person's life. And so then we're looking and we're noticing and we're, we're training ourselves. And this takes work. It's not something that comes naturally. It takes work. To, where is God at work? And so we say, did you see what I saw? I saw God working in your life. Did you see it? Can I invite you into that? Or maybe you say it like this. I believe God was working when? And then you fill in the blank. And then say, what do you think? I believe God was working when? What do you think? Can we pray and invite Jesus to be Lord over this? Think how this transforms it because now all of a sudden it's not a matter of convincing the other person. It's not a matter of trying to sell them or argue them. But you're saying, hey, did you notice that? I saw God at work. Did you see it too? And what you're inviting them to do is to see that this is a God-bathed world where Jesus reigns and rules over everything, where God is present with us and at work. And so maybe it's just, can you see this? Are you interested? I believe, I see God working in you too. Do this, blank. Can you see it too? Would you like to enter into the salvation he is working in and through Jesus Christ as Lord? So think of it maybe as a way to ask questions. To say, do you notice where God is at work in your life? Do you see it? And start with just like, hey, I see something going on here. Do you see it too? And maybe they don't, but it puts a thought in their head. A 
thought that God is working in their life to bring about healing and change and transformation and wanting to bring healing into their life. So I'd invite you to maybe think about that as a different way to approach it. Not as you're trying to convince someone, not that like, okay, I've got my four steps, my five-step plan of salvation that I'm going to share with them, but to simply say, do you see God working in your life? Because I see it. Would you like to explore that together? Would you like to pray and invite Jesus to be Lord over this? Would you like to pray and see God do more of this? It invites us to lean more into this power, more into this Jesus who said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and then surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So think about ways that you can ask questions. I'll post these later on our Facebook page because I know sometimes I get talking a little fast and you're trying to scribble if you're a note taker and get all those things down. But let's start, first of all, with ourselves, that Jesus is reigning and present with us now, bringing healing and hope. So this, we proclaim good news today. And I proclaim that good news to you today. That Jesus, just as he spoke to the followers on the mountain over 2,000 years ago, just as he spoke to them and said, I am ruling and reigning, that he is ruling and reigning over all things right now. So whatever's going on in your life, Jesus is ruling and reigning, and he is with you now. And that's the good news that we hear today. That's the good news that we proclaim. It's not anything we have to do. But I invite you simply to hear that good news. To know that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth and is with you always. And now, hearing that also, will we respond to his invitation to be his ambassador? to go and to proclaim that good news to our friends, our relatives, our associates, our neighbors, and to say, Jesus is with you now, bringing about healing and transformation. This is the good news I see. Do you see it? The good news for us, church, today is that Jesus rules over all things, and he is with us now. May we hear that good news and may we proclaim it to the world around us. Amen.